you have your Bible, uh, you can turn with me now to Matthew chapter 12 in our sermon text this morning. The words to which I would call your attention are to be found in verses 33 to 37. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37. This is God's word. Let's give attention to it now. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account. Well, how, how powerful and fundamental to life uh, are our words, are our words. You think about it. And um, God created all that exists by the word of his power. He spoke everything into existence. Uh, if you are married, the basis of your marriage is a covenant. It is a vow that you made with words. When you join the church or you join the military, your membership in those organizations is formed on the basis of a vow that you speak in the presence of many witnesses. Our words are powerful. Just a moment ago, I was thinking about um, God's command to Jeremiah. Let me just read to you from Jeremiah chapter 1. God, as He's commissioning His prophet, He said to him in verse uh, 9, Then the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, and to build and to plant. You see, what's happening there in, in, in Jeremiah's commission is God is saying, you're going to preach my word. And in the same setting, the word that goes forth from your mouth is going to pluck up and overthrow some. And for some, it's going to build them up. The same word will have two separate effects in different people. Words are powerful. To suggest to you in this sermon that you are some sort of demigod and that the things you say will come to actuality. That's a heresy that we don't confess here. Nevertheless, words do have a certain power. Our powerful words can build people up and they can tear them down. James describes the tongue as being set on fire by hell. This morning, Jesus teaches us how fundamental speech is to our spiritual condition. He teaches us that your works 
reveal the condition of your heart and the words that you speak give the clearest indication of whether you will be accepted by God or condemned in the day of judgment. Think about that. The words that you speak give the clearest indication of whether you will be condemned by God or justified in the day of judgment. Thinking just for a moment about the the context of what's going on here, remember that uh, back to last week, Jesus was having this exchange of words with with the Pharisees. And I don't think there's... um, I don't think it's accidental that this man was brought to Jesus. He was, remember, afflicted by a demon. And the outward effect of that was that he couldn't see and he couldn't speak. And when Jesus set him free from that demon, it enabled him to speak. And and I think one of the points that we'll take away this morning is that when when Christ redeems us, one of the principal signs of redemption is that your tongue is free to speak blessing upon other people. It demonstrates the power of Christ's transformation in your life. But the Pharisees, think about this now, freeing this man from this affliction, the Pharisees said, he is a demon. He is an angel of darkness operating under the authority of Satan himself. This was the accusation that they made against him. And Jesus, as it were, is looking in them in the eye, and he's saying, be careful little lips what you say. Because, because God remembers every word, even when you don't, and will judge us because of them. Now we're going to look at this in, in three points. We're going to see, first of all, that works, works reveal the heart. Now this is important, uh, as we notice verse 33, that works reveal the heart because I... Growing up probably in the late 70s and the early 80s, um, there were occasions where we were told, be careful about the occult, be careful about uh, some of the movies that you watch, and there's good principle in that. Be careful about the games that you play because they might affect your soul and lead you astray. And, And there's truth in that. But one of the things Jesus brings out for us this morning is actually there is something coming out of you when you say and do certain things. They reveal, they reveal the heart. They reveal what's already there. And so Jesus begins here by speaking a parable in verse 33. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. And here's the point. For the tree is known by its fruit. Um, Every fall in Hendersonville, uh, North Carolina, they have this amazing apple festival, and there are uh, numerous different types of apples, and it's a huge festival, and you can go there. Some of you may have been before, but there are just numerous uh, types of apple there. Uh, And And different trees have different kinds of apples. You you don't find um, a a Granny Smith apple on a Fuji apple tree. 
They produce a specific type of apple. And the point that Jesus is getting across to this morning, to us this morning, is that people are like trees. You are like a tree. Your works reveal your heart just like apples on a tree reveal that it is an apple tree. The way that you conduct yourself reveals who you really are on the inside. The way that you behave toward others, the way that you conduct yourself in private, reveal who you really are. Good trees, Jesus says, produce good fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Literally, when Jesus says there that bad trees produce bad fruit, he's saying that they, they produce a rotten sort of fruit. It, the, the word mean, literally means that it smells like rotten fish. It is a decaying sort of fruit that comes from the bad tree. And, and so here's the thing. First of all, we apply this to Christ himself, don't we? Jesus is saying, do you see what you're doing, Pharisees? I have just delivered a man from a demon... I have delivered him unto the glory of God. And you are looking at my works and you're saying of my good work, oh, he's evil. The Pharisees observed Jesus' good works and they attributed them to Satan. And Jesus is saying, Satan doesn't seek the good of others. If you see a man bearing good fruit, you must conclude that there's a good tree. Being evil, Satan's works are evil. So if Jesus does work that honors God, the proper conclusion is not that he's an evil tree, but that he is a good tree and that he is bearing fruits of righteousness. This parable that Jesus speaks about these two trees here is related to the judgment before. Go back up with me to verse 32. Jesus said to them, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And so where our minds and our attention are drawn back to the judgment, and this is not a new theme in Matthew's Gospel, John the Baptist In Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, when he was speaking to the Pharisees in that moment, remember that he said, even now, right now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And Jesus, when he was warning us to be wary of false teachers when he was telling us to use good judgment with reference to men who come and claim to teach the truth, he said this, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. We're continuing in this whole idea of the judgment. How do you know if you belong to Christ's kingdom of righteousness? You look at the fruit it bears. And Jesus is saying, when you look at the Pharisees, they are bearing bad fruit. 
and the axe is laid to the root of the tree even now. He is warning over and over about the coming judgment. Works reveal the heart. And as he is speaking to the Pharisees, he's not, he's not fundamentally saying you're going to be judged and condemned because of what you say, because you blaspheme the Spirit. You will be judged because of what it reveals about the heart that lies within you. You are corrupt, diseased, you stink. And the second thing that he reveals then is that spoken words are revealing works. Spoken words are revealing works. Works reveal the heart, and spoken words are an aspect of your works, good or evil. Look what Jesus says. There's a personal confrontation here. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? This is an interesting thing. Jesus calls them snake children. Literally, that's what he says in the original language. You are the children of snakes. And we're going to see this kind of flesh itself out over the course of Matthew's Gospel when he brings condemnation on this generation. Why? Because they descend from a wicked generation. And he looks at him and he says, how can you speak good when you are evil? The implication of this personal confrontation is that men who have wicked hearts do not bless other men. If you are speaking evil, why do you speak evil? Because you are evil on the inside. Your words stink because your heart stinks. And within this personal confrontation, he brings out a principle of speech. Notice what he says in verse 35. Or continuing in verse 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this was, this was one of the concerns about our mothers. I don't want you to be corrupted by evil company. That's a biblical principle. If you hang around those boys, you're going to start talking like those boys. And that's a good principle because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. But it's not because of those boys that you begin speaking evil. It's merely that they coax out of your heart something that is already there. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A picture of this might be when, when Jesus is serving the 5,000. And you remember that when they went to collect all the baskets, there was some bread and fish left over. Remember that? There was so much that there was some left over. Well, the picture that Jesus is giving here is that your speech is flowing up and out of your heart. It is the abundance of the heart. We used to have a saying that if you squeeze the sponge, you see what comes out of it. Well, this is the same principle. The way that you speak to other people reveals what is in your heart, what it is filled up on. The picture is of speech that bubbles up out of the heart and erupts through the mouth. You see, it comes from the inside. It's not anybody else's fault. It reveals who you are. And if you go back up to verse 33, Jesus said, the bad tree produces bad fruit. 
One of the places where you find that same word used is in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul wrote this in verses 29 to 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That corrupting is the same word. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. See, Jesus through Paul is teaching you how to put corrupting speech away. You build one another up rather than tear one another down. And I love this picture that Jesus uses in verse 35. Notice what he says. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. You've got this picture in this parable of two men. And, and in front of them maybe is a treasure chest before both, both of them. And they are they're plunging their arms down to the elbows into their treasure chest and they're bringing it out and casting it. They're throwing it out. The good man, he plunges his arms down to the elbows into his treasure chest. And what does he bring out? He brings out good things and he, throw, he shares it. He distributes it with, to people. But on the other hand, there's the wicked man. And he plunges his hands down to the elbows into his wicked treasure and he brings it out and he distributes it in the same way. Do you know what this is a picture of? This is the picture of a good man and a wicked man and the effect that their good words or their wicked words have on other people. One man digs into his good treasure and he builds men up. He encourages other men. He is the one that you can call and lean on and he will have a, a kind word for you, something that builds you up and helps you to endure the picture of Christ himself. And the other man is, is the one who leaves a wake of ruin behind him. Jerry Jerry Bridges wrote a book called Respectable Sins. Maybe you've read it. Uh, it's very good. And he tells, he talks about when he was writing the book and he would uh, maybe attend church or he would come to some social gathering. And he says, in the months that I have been working on this book, Respectable Sins, I have, I've often been asked in social settings, what are you working on now? And then he would explain, well, I'm working on a book called Respectable Sins. And everybody would say, oh, I know what those are. He says, when I mention the respectable or acceptable sins, these, these are the sins that we tolerate. We tend to gloss over and we say, oh, that's not that bad. When I mention that, he said, invariably, someone will roll his or her eyes and say, oh, you mean like gossip? As widespread, he goes on, as the practice of gossip is, however, it is by no means the only sin of the tongue. 
In this category, we must also include lying, slander, critical speech even when true, harsh words, insults, sarcasm, and ridicule. You remember how Paul, quoting from Romans, depicts your mouth? It is an open grave. In your mouth is the venom of asps. We have the power to dig down into our treasure and to bring forth good and to encourage men or to bring them down. No, I think, I think one qualification is necessary here um, because there are proper occasions for strong, direct speech. It shouldn't be lost on you that Jesus just called these men snake children. It shouldn't be lost on you that there are places particularly in confronting those who are in error and trying to spread that error, especially amongst the body, that there is a place for strong, direct speech. You need to repent. Paul, writing to Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, said, Oh, you are kings. I forgot. You are above us. And in Galatians, I wish that those men who insist on circumcision would go ahead and cut the whole thing off. There is a place confronting falsehood in the church. There is a place for strong speech as demonstrated by the apostles and by Christ Himself. But we are always called to speak the truth in love. You see, how can I use strong speech or gentle speech in love? Well, in this way, my concern is for the well-being of that individual. I use strong speech to get his attention. You think about a father or a mother who goes out into into the yard and there is a, a dog or some rabid animal chasing them. What do I do? I get in between and I use strong speech to try and drive it away. I will not allow it to harm. This is what a good shepherd does. Our speech reveals whether we are children of God, and it also reveals the man who is a child of the devil. How do you know? How do you know? Well, maybe you apologize for sins of the tongue but you never truly repent. You never make an effort to change. Your only concern is to get out of that situation in that moment. You go on slandering. You go on being harsh in your anger. You excuse your sin. Maybe you say something like, well, look, I just tell it like it is. I think this is another way of saying I obviously know all truth and other people need to hear me say it, lovingly or not. Remember, when we think about this passage of Scripture and what Jesus is saying with reference to words and judgment and heart, first of all, it is a tool by which we judge ourselves. If you're convicted because your speech is more often corrosive than edifying? 
begin by seeking Christ's help. The point of this sermon is not for you to go home and say, I need to clean my house up a little bit. The legalist says, I need to fix my speech. The Christian says, I need Christ to fix my heart. Your words are part of your works that reveal where your heart is. Thirdly, in verses 36 to 37, Jesus teaches us that worthless words receive their reward. Let's let's read it together. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What a terrifying verse. It's, it's a terrifying conclusion, isn't it? You will give an account for every single word. Where the ESV translates careless is fine, could also be translated, and I think is better, worthless. Worthless words, they're useless. They're idle words. They, maybe these are the words that you speak and you don't even remember it. This is when somebody confronts you and say, I don't, I don't even remember saying that. But it's, it's interesting that these are worthless words because Jesus immediately says, what about them? You, you don't think about them. You don't weigh them. You don't consider them. These are the things maybe you murmur under your breath. You don't think anybody hears you. You don't care. You don't think anybody else is listening to you. And Jesus says, well, someone is always listening to you. The Lord is always maintaining an account of what you say. And so he says, he goes on by saying, um, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account. Give account means that you will be paid back. So now do you see the picture? That what you say is worthless, God is weighing in a balance, and He will pay you back for it. Jesus is saying that although you and I have long forgotten, God never does. He never forgets a single word you have spoken. That should grip you. When you are considering how to respond to someone in the heat of anger, you must remember that there is an audience always there, one who hears your words and takes account of them. And if the person is weaker than you, inferior to you and can't respond, there is one who will. Every word, consider this, every word ever spoken is logged in God's record book. And there will be a day of reckoning in which every word will be brought to light. A day of retribution is coming for all evil speech. And Jesus concludes, for by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. And I think it's at this point we wrestle with that. Okay, well I know that justification is by 
grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Is this a contradiction? Is God saying, is Christ here teaching me that I'm going to stand before the Lord and I'm going to give an account for every word and if my good words don't outweigh my bad and evil words, does that mean I go to hell? And the man whose good words outweigh his bad words, well, that's a man who will be declared righteous. No. Because if you're an honest man or woman or child, you will read this passage and you will immediately say, I ain't got no hope. Because if one word spoken in evil, spoken in anger, spoken harshly, spoken corruptly, if one word indicates that my heart is corrupt, then I have no hope. An honest man will say he will never survive this judgment if God's accounting is that specific. There are some people who are really counting on God just kind of forgetting and, and, and maybe shoving some of these bad words that you've said under the carpet. Or maybe that these words that you've thought while you're in traffic running over the potholes in Macomb. If your hope for eternity, Jesus is saying, if your hope for eternity is that God will simply be lenient, Jesus' declaration should dispel that false hope because he's going to show you every word that you've ever spoken and pay you back for them. You will give an account for every word, for every deed, for every thought. And, and here's... Here's where we end. If Jesus' warning has convicted you this morning, the very next thing that your tongue should do is confess. Like a baby learning to mouth words, the first thing the redeemed soul learns to do is confess his sins. For a new Christian, it's like saying, Mama, Dada, we confess our sins. As you mature in the faith, you should mature in confession. And this morning, if you've realized that you are like the evil man who scatters evil treasure and behind you is a wake of ruin and decimation in relationships... then Christ is inviting you to come and to be cleansed. You don't need soap in your mouth. You need soap upon your soul. And He is the one who promises to cleanse you and to make you whiter than snow. To renew and restore your speech. You and I, what Jesus is saying is you need a heart change, not a tongue transplant. And He is the one who is merciful and will give you His mercy. If you are a Christian and you've fallen into a pattern of evil speech, this morning Christ calls you to repent. This is a sin, listen. This is a sin that you will wrestle with your whole life. You know how I know that? Because James says, the man who can tame his tongue 
has achieved perfection. (laughs) And you will never be perfect, but that should be your aim. Seek Christ for the renewing power of the Holy Spirit and pray with the psalmist, God, put a guard over my mouth so that I might honor you and bear fruits in keeping with the Spirit's work in my life. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I join my brothers and sisters this morning in coming before you. And I think if we take these words seriously, every one of us in this moment understands that we ought to be kneeling in your presence, crawling into your presence, confessing, O oh Lord, that every one of us has sinned. We, what did Isaiah confess in the presence of your power and majesty except that I am a man of unclean lips and I live amidst a people with unclean lips? But Lord Jesus, we come to you in the words of Peter who said, Lord, who else has the words of eternal life? And we praise you that that this morning you've spoken to us through your word. And you've spoken to us healing and comfort and conviction and forgiveness. We confess with Isaiah, Lord, we, we are a people of unclean lips. Every single one of us has used his mouth to hurt others intentionally. We have spoken the truth in an unloving way. We've slandered people behind their backs. We've told lies. Every single thing that your Ten Commandments convict us of is true. And we confess this morning that if if our words appear before them and you hold them against us and you pay us back, we have no hope. So we ask, Lord Jesus, for your forgiveness. And we ask that you would do for us what you did for Isaiah, that you would touch the hot coal to our lips, that you would burn away the impurity, and that you would make us a people who bear fruits of righteousness with our lips. And we ask this in your name and for your glory alone. Amen.